This talk is given by Vanessa Zvise Goddard, a writer and lay Zen teacher based in New York City. This talk, like all of Zvise's talks, is offered freely. If you'd like to make a donation, find out more about Zvise's teachings, or sign up for her newsletter, please visit her website at vanessasvisegoddard.org. Thanks for listening. May the merits of these teachings benefit all beings. May these words help and not harm. May they clarify and not confuse. May they self-liberate, leaving no trace of me. The eighth realization is the awareness that the fire of birth and death is raging, causing endless suffering everywhere. So not exactly chipper. I was thinking about how to speak of this and then I was handed the, the perfect way. So let me tell you a story. Uh, this past weekend, Saturday morning, uh, Julia and I, and Julia has joined us today, we headed upstate to pick up some books that my friends had been storing for me for a while, actually. And I had everything ready. I had a storage space, I borrowed a car from a very good friend of mine, a close friend. And, you know, we thought, you know, we'd go up there, we'd camp, maybe we'd swim, you know, just make a, a, a weekend of it. And the first glitch uh, happened on Friday. And if it had been a movie, we would have gotten some kind of warning, right? There would have been a, a foreshadowing of what was to come. Maybe some ambient music, you know, some, some um, way for the viewer to notice that something is not quite, not quite right. But of course, it wasn't a movie, and so we just ambled on, uh, unaware of the approaching storm. And at the beginning, you know, our plans to stay overnight fell through, and we thought, you know, no problem, we'll just come back here and uh, put the books in storage, and, you know, we could go to the beach here. That's fine, you know, we, we, we can adapt, that's not a problem. We get upstate, you know, without incident, we pick up the books, no problem. We did some other errands. We stopped for a very nice lunch at Bread Alone. There were like chickens, you know, running around around us, a rooster, we're feeding them bits of our pizza. And it was a gorgeous day. I mean, it was warm, but not too warm. And one of those just bright, um, very crisp uh, summer days. And so, you know, on the way back, we stopped by a, by a small lake, we dip in, there's this very excited um, uh, French bulldog named Ruby. She's very excited to be swimming as well. You know, we had a very, very nice time. And then we uh, were going to stop by this uh, goat milk, uh, goat farm to pick up some milk. And it's a little out of the way, but you know, not too much. And it's a beautiful drive through you know, Catskill back roads. And so we're driving, we're driving and we get there, she's not there. And I was a little disappointed because I really wanted to see the goats, city girl that I am, but the woman was not there. Um, the, her, her husband was not at all interested in showing us <laughs> the farm or giving us milk or anything. So we thought, okay, we'll just, you know, we'll just go back. Of course, 
getting back into the city, there's traffic because when you put millions of cars and you try to funnel them into a few lanes anywhere in the world, this is what happens, right? And so by the time we make it in, now we're a bit tired and um, I'm more than a bit hungry and car weary. And so when Julia suggests uh, near Chinatown, what do you think? Why don't we stop and just have a meal? I think, sure, why not? And so we find a parking space immediately, miraculously, park the car. And, um, you know, I realize, you know, part of me is thinking, you know, it, it really would be great, you know, just to get home, you know, take a shower, get out of the car. Um, no get out of the car first, then take a shower and, and you know, just, just uh, be done, you know, with the trip. On the other hand, I think it would be really nice to just break it up and uh, food is sounding very appealing. Uh, walking is sounding extremely appealing. And so, you know, I think, I think, okay. And so, as I said, you know, we find, we find the, the spot and I park the car and I do something that I never do. My backpack is in the car with my computer and I leave it in the car, which I never ever do. But it's kind of tucked in, you know, under the seat. I don't want to carry it. I, I don't actually, I don't even think to take it with me. And so I lock the car and I do check that it's locked. I go back, I check, it's definitely locked. I look up, make sure that I'm not parking somewhere where I shouldn't be. And, um, you know, as I said, I, I do know it's a little risky to live the car in a busy New York City street, um, New York City corner, Chambers and Broadway, when I look up at the, at the sign. But I figure, you know, we're not going to be very long. The boxes look really old. The car looks pretty old and beat up. I mean, who's going to want to, you know, break into it? And so 12 boxes of books some camping gear, which is in a bag. And so you can't really see what it is. Some skis there in the car, Julia's iPad, my computer. And I think, I think this is one of our strengths, right? Our optimism, because you think nothing can, can go wrong. And if something did, I mean, it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me now. And I think it is our optimism until, until it becomes something else, until it turns into denial. But I'm not thinking about any of this. And so we walk away. And the restaurant is about 15 minutes away. And um, there's not that many people in the street. So it's actually a really, a really nice, um, you know, by now it's, it's um, early evening and we have a really nice walk and, you know, we're walking. And as we cross one street, I notice that we're, we, we're crossing Broadway. And I think, well, that's strange. We parked on Broadway and I said so. And, you know, I'm ashamed to say this, but I'm not the most um, oriented person. I've always thought that I was. And, and it has always saddened me a little bit that I'm a little spatially challenged. It's very hard for me to visualize things in three dimensions. And so I don't think it's actually that strange 
that we crossed Broadway twice. I think, you know, I do know Broadway is diagonal. So I think, you know, maybe we're just walking funny, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm a little hot. I don't think about it. We get to the restaurant, it's packed. It doesn't really have any vegetables to speak of. And so we're like, no, let's go to another one. We find another one very aptly called Happy Veggies. And we, this is not full. It's very nice. We sit down outside. We have a really nice meal. You know, there's families walking around. Now we're in Chinatown and there's people, you know, just enjoying the evening. You know, we, we're, we're kind of basking in the afterglow of a really, really nice day, really enjoying a very, very nice meal. And, um, and so then we just, we head back. And so we walk back uh, to the corner where we left the car and there's no car. And all the blood in my body rushes to my feet and I just go completely cold. And I'm walking slowly from the corner where we parked the car, almost the corner, you know, down the street and there's no car. There's no RAV4, there's no boxes, there's no computer containing my entire life. But I'm still disbelieving because, you know, I mean, what are the chances? Right? What are the chances? And there's a couple of police cars parked in the corner. So I go, um, oh, and then I look up. I look up behind me and I see a no standing sign. One side of the sign says no standing, I think uh, up until 7 p.m. The other side says no standing anytime. And I think, how did I not see that? How did I not see that? But I was, by that point I was, you know, almost dizzy with hunger. So it's completely possible that I didn't see it. And so I think the car's been towed. And I'm starting to feel, um, you know, brace myself to tell, to tell my friend. And um, so one of us, I don't remember who goes up to the, the policeman, a um, couple of them are standing there to ask if the car's been towed, where it's, where it's been taken. And they say, well, you know, the, the, the pound used to be here in Manhattan, but now it's really, now it's in Brooklyn. And, you know, I curse. I really think it's just once, though Julia tells me it was more than that throughout the night. And I call my friend and I tell her, your car's been towed. I am so sorry. This is so incredibly embarrassing. Um, and she says, no problem. It's really okay. You know, I'll find it. And she gets on the phone and then there's begins this flurry of texts. The pound is closed. It's closed until Monday. And I think, oh, okay, not the end of the world. Then she calls me back. No, it's open, but they can't find the car. Check the license plate. She, I mean, of course it's her car. So I, I call them, they don't have it. She calls, they don't have it. They don't have it by the license plate. They don't have it by the VIN number. I don't even know what a VIN number is, but they don't have it. And now I'm starting to silently freak out. And I really involute because part of me, and I've described this to you before, you know, part of me is, is immersed in what is happening. And part of me is just slightly over here watching what's happening and watching myself. And I just see myself go, kind of go, go in and um, kind of deflate a bit. 
So they can't find it, but you know, we know bureaucracy the way that it is, especially in the city. So we think we're just gonna go there and beg them to let us look for the car if we need to. We get on the subway and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, the irony, I've waited two years to pick up these books. And the day that I picked them up, they have, you know, they're stolen. And you know, my books, a few clothes, my desk and my chair, that's the entirety of my belongings. And so I think, really? I mean, really, this is my karma? But then again, you know, why not? And I think of the shame, of course, of having to face my friend who's been unfailingly kind to me for two years since I landed in the city and telling her that the one time I asked for her car and she lent it to me, it was stolen. I think of the money that I'm going to need to replace everything before I go away in two weeks. And then I start thinking, you know, almost every week you're talking to the group about groundlessness. Right? And I think of having an exchange with someone just two days before and saying to her, everything has a solution except death and it doesn't need one. And I'm telling this to myself, but I'm also not quite there. I'm in the subway and I'm really in the bardo. And I'm using the word loosely, but I'm really in this in-between state, caught between really, I mean, the bardo technically is the state between one life and the next. Uh, use more loosely is an in-between state. And, and often it's, it's said that you don't even know that you've died yet. And so there's before and after the death of oneself and the beginning, the rebirth of another. And I know that depending on what I do is the person that will be born in the next moment and in the next day and then in the next few days. And I know that, I do know that. And at the same time, the fire of birth and death is raging, causing endless suffering everywhere. It's a long ride to the pound. And this is not the end of the world, right? I mean, as Julia later said to me, thankfully, when I, was, when I had calmed down, my, my life was actually not in the computer. It's right here. And we're certainly um, of one piece healthy enough, you know, everything, if, if I had, um, everything that was in the car was replaceable. And I know that too. And yet, we get to the pound, the woman in charge takes one look at me, I explained what happens is she takes pity on me, and lets me actually go look for the car, because she confirms that it's not there, according to their system. So I get into this cop car, and of course, of course, now it's starting to rain. And so I get into this cop car in the back of the cop car, right? The policeman is in front. And as I'm driving into the night, into the pound, I look and Julia's like very warmly hugging this complete stranger, I think. And I think she's, she's met someone he, she knows here at the pound. I mean, everything is just surreal. I think she really just made friends with someone like right now, which is actually entirely possible. And I just think I'm in another, I'm in a twilight zone now. 
And the guy is, of course, at this point asking me, you know, what does the car look like? And so I tell him. And then we start driving slowly, row from row to row. And the windows are down. The rain is pouring into the car. But I want to make sure that I'm not, I don't miss it, right? And I can feel it. I can feel it's not there. But I don't want to believe that. I don't want to know that. And we go through the whole thing. And in fact, the car is not there. We go back, file a police report, says Julia's friend, who's the friend of a friend, it turns out they did uh, run into each other there. And my friend is already doing this in Manhattan where she lives. More texts, more phone calls. And she says, I'm going to go look for the car just in case. And we say, okay, we're gonna go too. She's like, just go home, go to bed. It's been a long day. And I'm like, how in the world am I ever going to sleep? Perhaps ever again, <laughs> you know? So I'm just gonna go and, and we're gonna go and look also. We get, we get a lift, we get into the car and Julia sees on her phone that her iPad is in Chambers and West Broadway. Though her phone also says her earphones are at home, but they're really in her bag. So we're not sure to trust it or not. And then it hits, wait, 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 West Broadway. But that's where we went back. We're sure that's where we went back because we do know there's two Broadways, right? And we do know that Broadway is right close to the courthouse and we definitely walked farther, farther than that. We, we did not make a mistake like that. And we're in the lift and we're looking at each other and we get there and there's the car. And I actually cannot feel relief. I just want to throw up. I just want to throw up. And my friend at that point comes out of the subway. We send her the picture, the car is there intact, nothing has been touched. There is no standing sign, no, no standing sign anywhere. I parked where I needed to park. And my friend comes out of the subway, we hug each other and one of us is shaking. I can't tell if it's her or if it's me, but one of us is shaking. And for the next two days, the pent up stress just leaks out in the most <laughs> unfortunate, unfortunate ways, even though, even though things turned out the absolute best that they could have. On Monday, I had to go back to the pound to pick up the license that I left in my distress. And the woman, when she sees me, says, what happened to you? And I start to explain and she just nods knowingly. I says, oh, you had too much to drink. <laughs> and I just start laughing and I said, no, I, I don't drink. I don't think she believed me. I was in my world, in my own world. I did start to say to her, you know, I just, I couldn't see. It was right in front of me and I couldn't see it. And that is the encapsulation of suffering. And it's not what happens to us, but what we do with it, right? And we know this, and we've spoken about this actually quite a bit, is not what happens to us, but what we do with it. Friends, said the Buddha, everything is burning. The eye is burning, forms are burning, 
eye consciousness is burning, eye contact is burning, the ear is burning, the nose is burning, the tongue, the body, the mind are burning, ideas are burning, mind consciousness is burning, also whatever is felt as pleasant or painful or neither painful nor pleasant, that too is burning. Burning with what? With the fire of passion, the fire of aversion, and the fire of delusion. It is burning with birth, aging and death, with sorrow, with lamentation, with pain, with grief, with despair. And this is, of course, from the fire sermon, one of the most famous of the Buddha's teachings. The world is burning in small and large ways. Right, in ways both recognized and unacknowledged. It's burning individually and it's burning collectively. And in the scheme of things, I mean, my example is inconsequential. Thankfully, right? As I said, even in the worst case scenario, if the car had been stolen, everything else, you know, I was fundamentally okay, we were fundamentally okay. And yet for two hours, I had my own little hell in a bottle. You know, all the scenarios running through my mind. As another voice just kept saying, wait, you don't know. I don't know if you remember those of you who've been reading the Thich Nhat Hanh book, how he says at one point, are you sure that we should ask ourselves, am I sure, am I sure? Right, and so this voice kept saying, you don't know yet what's going on and whatever it is, you'll deal with it. And underneath all of it, you're okay. And I said in a, in a different context that, you know, what I've, what I've seen is that, that highlighted in a moment of unease, of this ease, that moment takes on very sharp edges, you know, very rough, very spiny edges. And so things can't flow, right? You can't flow. Everything becomes very, very jerky and threatening. And everything feels very bounded. So myself as a self, the moment as a moment has edges that are not there fundamentally, but they feel so real. At the core of each moment, however, is also a very soft spaciousness where everything is okay. And not just okay, but perfect, right? Perfect as in complete, perfect as in whole as in things as they are. And so my own work, as I continue to, to see it, is to gentle myself into the heart of the moment, or is to soften into that core so that the, the edges can soften too. And I was telling someone um, last week a singer friend pointed out to me uh, 
when you're able to hit, when you're able to find the center of a note or of a tone, I can't remember exactly which one he, he said, but as you're singing, or in my case, because he was uh, teaching me how to, to chant uh, better as I was leading the chanting, when you find the center of the note, he said, there there's complete ease, complete relaxation, and the sound just comes out effortlessly and, and, and kind of pure, right? Unobstructed. And the center of that moment is like that too. And so to wrap up, the, the comment to the eighth realization says, take the great vow to help all beings, to suffer with all beings and to guide all beings to the realm of great joy. And the meaning of compassion is to suffer with. That's its, its root, its etymology. But of course, we're also vowing to help all beings, to guide all beings. And not just that, but to walk with them to the realm of great joy. And I have said this a number of times in the context of this gathering. You know, that we have, we have come together and the ways that we can do that for one another, even remotely, the ways that we can, in a sense, walk each other along the path to joy, which is not a place. And it doesn't take years of practice. It takes a moment, an instant softening from this to this. And so Bhikkhu Bodhi, reflecting on that fire sermon, you know, he essentially says we have to reimagine our life's ultimate purpose. So instead of seeing it in terms of wealth, power, domination, we recognize in it beauty and goodness. I would say we have to find it in things as they are, right? Because if suffering is the gap between wish and reality, practice is in that gap as well. I mean, that's where practice actually happens. Therefore, my dream of this Bodhisattva Academy, this aspiration that I'm putting into motion, and think of it as a, as a program, right, to inspire one another toward the realm of great joy. May it be so with the help of all Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. And so the world is burning, but, but let me just close with this image from one of the poems on, in the Book of Serenity, Serenity that has a, mm, a, a slightly different tilt to this burning. And it's actually my teacher's favorite poem. Grass, boundless, inside the gate, outside the gate, you see by yourself. To set foot in the forest of thorns is easy. To turn the body outside the luminous screen is hard. Look, look, how many kinds. For the while, going along with the old tree with the same emaciation in the cold, about to follow the spring wind into the scars of the burning. 
about to follow the spring wind into the scars of the burning. For more talks, to get more information about Zvise's upcoming teachings, or to join her email list, please visit vanessazvisegoddard.org.